Listener Production. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Velocipy uh, with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guest who they are. So who are you? I'm Mel Buttle. I am a comedian. I live in Brisbane. I'm a new mummy. And <laughs> anything else is just too many things. That's that'll do, you know? I mean, that's a lot of things already. Like, but I loved it. Um, I love the way that you said I'm a new mummy. That that really <laughs> got me on board. Is that is it compulsory to say it like that when you're a new mummy? Oh, uh, there's a real like mum culture of that makes some of the words around it make me feel a bit sick to my stomach and Instagram comments like you go mama you're a big strong mama bear <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> you keep that cub safe mama bear I'm not I don't know what to do I didn't read enough books he's getting sit on the coffee table four times I'm not I'm not doing a good job here you know yeah the the language around Parenting, particularly for mums, is is disgusting. Will, thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, I am interested in that though because I have no awareness of it. Obviously, I'm not like a parent myself. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a mum, certainly, but not yeah. a parent in any way. Um, I like imagine that most of it comes from a very good place, which is that women looking out for each other, trying to encourage each other, trying to you know be there as a support, and traditionally. That was the support network, was other women, you know, mothers' groups, mums' groups, that traditional, like, in fact, even I imagine the way that people learnt about parenting was from other women, other people who had had children. So I imagine that it all comes from quite a good place originally, but of course, this modern social media phenomenon tends to elevate everything to its absolute extreme. So I imagine when it comes to parenting, it also manifests in that way. I think I'd, I haven't made it my whole identity, mm. right? Um, and I knew you were, you were going to ask. I know how it starts. Who are you? What do you do? And I was like, you know what? Just let the words come out. If mum comes out last, that's, <laughs> that's probably a reflection of where I'm at. Um, but you know, like the, like I'm a mum entrepreneur mm. instead of just say you're an entrepreneur or yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I run a mum business. It just, it's just a business, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> This is going to go real well for me on social. Pop this up. Um, because I think I've I, – I, the genuine answer, Will, if I was going to be really quite real and authentic, is I – it's not my full identity because I've only known my son for a year. He wasn't in my body. I didn't carry him. And I feel like I've been playing a bit of a stepdad role, to be honest, for the first six months of his life. Now he's a person and we're starting to bond and connect and I – like I love him obviously and I get him. Um, but they don't turn up on day one and you just go, this is the best. I love him. You're like, well, here's a, here's a burden. Here's another thing for me to sort out is, was kind of my first few months with this kid. Um, so sometimes I, I think, you know, when someone asks how my son is, my brain pauses for three seconds and I go, oh my God. Oh, yeah, is it daycare? Great. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a sense, and I mean, look, I'm certainly not the first person to make this observation, but like when they first pop out, 
I mean, they're not ready. They're not fully done. They're very much in, you know, open mic trial trial show stage, right? Like it's not a fully formed product in any way. Like the idea that you can kind of, I mean, I I know that there would be some, you know, biological sense and and not every person who births a baby has this, by the way, and nor should they. And again, it's like a messy area that I don't want to wade into in regard to what people should or shouldn't feel about. But there is a little lump of a thing that is like mostly useless, like oh, and yeah. really like easily breakable. Like it's not ready. Like if it was in, if it was like a meal in a restaurant, you'd be like, you know what, give it a couple more minutes before you bring it yeah. out. It just, it, it's amazing that like a giraffe can be born, mm. stand up, suckle on milk. Yeah. And, and humans, I don't know how we've survived this long on the earth because like my kid could be taken out by a slightly wrongly chopped up grape. Mm. Like if I don't <laughs> slice a grape the yeah. right way. It's over. So I don't know how we've got to this point in, in civilization, but um, yeah, look, it's been a big year, Will. Um, very big year for me. But I, I, I even struggle, and I know it's my job, went to say comedian because for so many years I would tone it down or I would, like in Ubers and stuff, I would never say I'm a comedian in an Uber. I would say, oh, I, I'm a teacher, <laughs> um, which I am. I do have a teaching degree, but I, d- I don't. Or I'd say, oh, I was just um, at Channel 10 doing some writing, you know, to minimise. But I, st- it, I like, you're not going to say it, but I, I don't say it at parties if I don't have to because people go, yeah, tell us a joke. And you're like, oh, that's it's actually not how it works. I do 10-minute-long stories about my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but that's – is that more about – protecting yourself from the dumb follow-up that you don't want to deal with or does it have to do with you like because I think there's a difference between those two things which is Mm. I readily and easily and predominantly identify as a comedian if somebody asked me who I was in that scenario I would say I was a comedian I often say it in relation to other things even though I've had other jobs television, radio, these sort of things, never thought of myself as like a television presenter or like a, like a write. I wrote a book, but I don't consider myself to be a writer. I consider myself to be first and foremost, a comedian who has done those other things. That said, if I'm in an Uber and I think that the follow-up question is tell us a joke, I'm not going to tell them I'm a comedian. But it's not because I don't identify as a comedian. I do identify as a comedian. I just don't want the fuss. Or the bother of like what is going to come next. When you would not answer, I'm a comedian, was it just about the fuss or was it about reconciling, identifying yourself as a comedian? Um, it, I, I reckon, it, yeah, it is, it is about the fuss with people who don't know. Uh, but also there's some sort of, um, I feel like, look, it's all social media. If you put in your bio, comedian, Someone will write, I guarantee, no matter what you post, thought comedians were meant to be funny. And I'm like, you know what, maybe I could avoid a bit of that trolling if I just wrote in my bio, writer slash presenter slash funny lady or something. You'll get to know me, Will, that I'm really good at minimising what I do as we go through this chat. Um, Well, I mean, I already know you. I already know that's the case. Like, you know, the the audience will get to know the fact that you're good at minimising it. So, is that a? So, you you said you live in, you know, Brisbane. Is that a Queensland thing? The minimising thing? Is it an Australian thing? Is it a Melbourne thing? Mm. Where does the minimising come from? Do you think? Um, 
I don't know. I guess I guess Brisbane's a pretty big part of my identity and people always assume that you live in Sydney or Melbourne and I have to go, no, I live here. I'm at this Westfield today, 20 minutes from the Brisbane city because I live here. Um, I guess it's an excuse for some of my behaviour, saying that I live in Brisbane, maybe. I don't know. I guess it's who I am and I'm... I'm I'm I'm, Bri- I'm Brisbane ass. Mm. I'm very Brisbane. Yeah. You're the powder finger of Australian comedy. That's what I've always thought. I've been scratching around for a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I am interested in that as a like a from a starting point of comedy because there is an assumption, not just I mean, look, people still think I'm from Melbourne, right? And I've lived in Sydney pretty much for a quarter of a century. So like they identify with me with Melbourne partly because when they think of comedy, they think of Melbourne, they think of the Melbourne Comedy Festival, partly because wherever you see me in Sydney, even if it's Bondi Beach, I will be dressed entirely in black. So they do think of me as being a Melbourne person, despite the fact that I don't live in Melbourne and I've spent a very little time in my life. I think a grand total of, I think five years total of my life, I've lived in Melbourne and I've spent over 20 living in Sydney. And I... So people assume, they make assumptions, but particularly those assumptions are pretty realistic that if you are a professional Australian comedian, at least for a very long time, that you did live in Sydney Mm -hmm. or Melbourne, right? So the idea that you've chosen to stay in Brisbane and really proudly identify as being from Brisbane, that is a choice and it does surprise people. Why did you make that choice? Um... I I reckon I came around just before the time, just at the right time. So I think before me, you had to move. To be honest, I reckon it was the introduction of budget airlines into Australia that allowed me to do what I do. Like once hirers and bookers realised it's 180 bucks to get her down here. Like, and when you start to be worth getting flown down, you re- you don't have to move. And I realised. Everyone who lives in Melbourne, I see in Adelaide. Everyone who lives in Sydney, oh, well, we're at the Darwin Festival together. No one is ever at their house, okay? So why don't I just live where I want to live, where I can afford, where I know where things are, um, where I could probably afford to buy a house, etc. I would have no hope in Sydney or Melbourne. So why don't we just stay here and see what we can get away with? The other thing, the secret thing about Brisbane I love is I can get – a new show up and broken in and up to a pretty good standard, take it down to Sydney and Melbourne and blow some socks off because they haven't been seeing me all year in the clubs. It's a it's um, a bit of a refreshing surprise, I think. That's my theory. Anyway. Did you start doing comedy in Brisbane? I did a, a six-week comedy course, Monday nights only. At the end of that, there was a performance to family and friends. I then swiftly pretty much straight after that moved to Perth where I did a little bit of comedy with my crew back then was people like Mike Goldstein, um, Xavier Michaelides, this, this Claire Hooper had just already left. She'd already moved to Melbourne. Um, did comedy there for a couple of years, got a bit better, moved back to Brisbane. Um, then ever since then I've been Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane. Did like I did raw comedy for Queensland, you know. Yeah. Why did you move to Western Australia? Was that comedy related or was that life related? That was life related. I wanted to get out of being a teacher. I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. Um, and I found a great job in the arts department of the WA government. And I also wanted to just 
I, you had to have a. Re- I couldn't. I knew I couldn't just say to my parents, "I don't want to be a teacher anymore. I'm just gonna be at home till I work it out." I was like, "Oh, I need to present to them. This is my plan. I already have another job. It's all. It happens to be in Perth. Whatever." Um. So that was kind of to wiggle out of full time teaching, which is crazy to that generation to do a four year degree in something. Will do it for seven months and get burnt out. Um, and then just go, oh, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, it is very confronting to that generation, the generation of that you will have the one job for the rest of your life. But as you know, and I mean, it's such a ridiculous thing to even like put into people's heads now that that will be the case. Like the average person, you know, has half a dozen, a dozen you know, 20 different jobs in their life and we're better off preparing people for that experience more than we are that you will sign up to some job and then do it for the rest of your life. But that idea of sunken cost is a human thing. So how did you confront the idea? Because I did as well because I did a journalism degree, you know, Mm-hmm. Spent three years working really hard to, you know, finish first in my course at journalism, got a job in journalism, hated my job in journalism. And there was plenty of times when I thought, but hang on, you've just spent three years of your life, which at that stage of your life, you know, now I'm 21, three years is like, you know, a seventh or whatever of my life at that point. Three years now feels like, oh, yeah, well, you know, with the, we kind of wasted three years with the pandemic. It doesn't seem like that, but it's a big chunk of your life at that point that you've spent learning how to do this thing. You've essentially been at school, then been at university learning how to become a teacher, gone back to school. You've spent your entire life essentially at school and then you've just decided, nah, this is not for me. You must have... Like, how do you come to that decision? I So, at, in year 11 or year 12, there was a lot of focus on career. Let's do some tests on the computer, work out what your strengths are, what careers could you go and do. And I was at a pretty elite all-girls private school in Brisbane where you were going to university, um, you, will, you will receive a university offer, come hell or high water, all the girls here go to uni, the end. Um, and I remember going to the careers counsellor and saying that I can't see myself working in an office. Um, I would like to join the police service. And you, she obviously that would be me bringing down the school statistics, I believe, and not going into university if I just went straight to the academy. Uh, and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Only one in ten get in. That's not a very good statistic, is it? And she literally looked at me, looked me up and down, looked at my records on the computer, had a bit of a scan. What are you yeah. doing? You're doing geography, you're doing English, you're doing economics. And she sat and thought and then she went, how about high school teaching? <laughs> she looked at her computer, mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of ideas there, no. looked around the office and went, what about high school teaching? <laughs> Staring me in the face, Melinda. Um, and I guess she was right because it was part of my strength as my character, uh, you know, uh, uh, what I was like was I was into drama, I was funny, I liked performing. I see where she, you know, where we went. Um, uh, no, I get that too. My, yeah. True story, my high school careers teacher suggested that I should be a high school careers teacher. And I think that in a way she was right. Because I love nothing more than telling people what they should be doing with their lives. Yes. Yes. I 
I did I did the teaching degree. I got halfway through and I said to my parents, this isn't for me. I don't enjoy this. I've, I'm halfway through. And, of course, as you would as a parent, they went, just finish it off. Yep. And you've got a degree. You've got your piece of paper. Something to fall back on. Something to fall back on. Come on. Not long to go now. Um, I, when I was – I'm jumping ahead. When I was in Perth, I went back and did a marketing – postgraduate qualification that I enjoyed a lot. And I always thought, and I still think, if I had to have a real job, it would be in advertising. I reckon that would be cool because you get to be creative and have ideas and solve problems. Almost every email I get through from our management will is, hey, company X is interested in you making a social media collaboration. I'm in advertising in a weird way. I, I'm the product. Some of the year is I'm the product I'm advertising. Uh, you can come to my show. That's a product that is for sale. And then I will sell you the product through my however. Or, hi, it's Mel Buttle here for something or other butter. And I've made this funny video that I've written, shot myself. It's an ad. So I've, I've sort of ended up where I thought I might have wanted to be. Well, I mean, stand-up in a lot of ways is a combination of both teaching and marketing. So yes, you've yep. really got all the qualifications that you actually need. <laughs> so, okay, so you decide halfway through your degree that it, teaching is not going to be for you. But you see it through to the end, which I think is, you know, not, not the worst advice in the entire world because at the very least it teaches you – like, I mean, the argument would be more broadly it teaches other people that you can see something through, right? You have proof, a piece of paper that says if you set out on something, regardless of whether you're enjoying it or not, you will see it through until the end. And I think there is some value in that. But it's also, I think there is some value in that for you, like as a person, to know that you can complete something, maybe even if your heart's not in it. But you then do some teaching. I have a, I have a go. Um I was a very young 21-year-old teacher teaching kids, some kids who were 17 on the brink of 18. I was not very worldly. <laughs> I had gone from an all-girls school mm. to university to, um, you know, a, a average state high school. Uh, and I did not cope. I was too immature, too young. Uh, my problem-solving strategies with kids were – Absolutely ridiculous. Like a kid was throwing rubbish on the floor under his desk one day. So I came up with this system that we're all going to throw as much rubbish as we can on the floor and then we were going to write the – the class would vote on the three naughtiest kids that lesson. I would write the three names up on the board. Australian Idol was big at the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> then we would all vote on who's going through to Sydney, a.k.a. who's the loser who's going to pick up all the rubbish. I, I, in my mind at 21, I thought this was so clever. Mm. And so the floor is covered <laughs> – there's like 30 centimetres of paper. They've ripped every piece of paper out of their book because, oh, someone's going to have to pick it up, miss. <laughs> the floor's white. <laughs> so the bell rings, morning tea yeah. time, and it was meant to be this girl. I can't remember her name. Let's say Maria. I was like, Maria, everyone said you're the worst behaved today. Sorry, Maria. You're not going through to Sydney. You're picking up the rubbish. And Maria just took her books and walked out. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, and then, so then everyone else walked. The classroom is empty. Yeah. It's morning tea time. And then mm. I spent all of morning tea learning the lesson mm. and I picked up all the rubbish and put it in the bin. I mean, you definitely learned the lesson. Oh, yeah, I learned the lesson. <laughs> yeah. And Marie, like uh, the idea 
that the worst behaved person would be the most likely to like stick around and yep. obey your orders is yeah, like do the right thing. There's some flawed logic. <laughs> a jury of her peers decided. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Not just me. I was like, I'm not have, mm-hmm. I'm not voting. I don't have a vote. Mm-hmm. It's your law classroom, your environment, guys. Yeah. What a disaster. Um, so I would do stupid things like that in my first year of teaching. I got very uh, exhausted from it because I don't have. I think, you know what? I can do it now because I've learned to fake it. Now I'm older. You put up a bit of a shield, and you have a character. Will there's a little teacher that comes out, and it's not you. There's a little bit extra of you added on. But I was just trying to do it as me, which is a bit – there's some stand-up, you know, stuff in here as well. I was trying to be just myself, which is didn't work at 21 as a teacher. Um, and it's it's hard. It's a hard job. It's tiring. And there wasn't a lot of support. And I, I thought there's it's, – it's, the grass is always greener, though. I was like, I reckon I would like an office. I went, I had, I went and had office jobs, didn't like them either. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm interested in that though, like that performance element. Like I think it is one of the reasons why it was always so confronting when you saw a teacher outside school, not just because you weren't were seeing them in a different environment, but because you were seeing them not in character. Yes. You know, yep. and it's the same thing with if someone comes and sees your stand-up show, you know, I'm sure you've had examples of this where somebody comes and sees your show and will contact you and say, oh, my God, we're so on the same page. I think we get along well. Like, you know, we'd like to catch up for a coffee or a drink or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not me. <laughs> that's like the – those things you responded to are a version of me that is not sustainable for more than about 70 minutes mm-hmm. per day. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you saw it. The rest of the time it's real different to that. Yes. Yeah. That is spot on. So teaching you need that. You need – like I reckon on stage I turn myself up – I don't know, it depends on the show – 25%. There's a Some elements are a bit more heightened. I'm a bit more brash or brave on stage than I'm in real life. And it's the same with teaching. You just turn up other elements and you turn up care, pretending to care about uniform and litter in the playground. Um, yeah. So it's, there's some, there's a lot of crossovers. There's a, heaps of comedians are former teachers. So I, and I, I get it. I see why. So Western Australia, why Western Australia? Was it just because you found the job there or did you have that sense of, I want to go somewhere that's far away, but I don't want to like go to Sydney or Melbourne or one of those places. Um, I, I think one of the reasons was I, I think I had friends there. I had a couple of friends in Perth who were at Whopper and I, I felt like I had more connection there than Sydney or Melbourne, even that was for, and Boy, did I, I hadn't lived out of home yet either. So I reckon this is probably about 21, 22. I still hadn't ever lived out of home and I wanted to give that a go. And I, I, I think if it was in Brisbane, it, I, I was like, what's the point? Mum will just mm. come over all the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, like Perth is far enough away that mum can't just pop over. Oh, no. 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 Even Sydney, she could probably pop over, like, you know, in a way, right? (laughs) You know, but Perth really is an effort. Mm. You've got to make a real effort to go to Western Australia. So you land in Western Australia. Had you spent any time in Western Australia? Were you prepared? How was the – I mean, is there – Brisbane and, you know, Western Australia, Brisbane and Perth in particular, like – 
I think for people in like Melbourne and Sydney who ha- haven't visited those places, they might think of them as being quite similar. I personally think they're not very similar at all. Like what was your experience? I, th- I got a culture shock moving from the bustling metropolis that is Brisbane compared to Perth. I, like this this isn't that long ago. Well, it was probably 20 years ago, but like the Woolworths wasn't open on Sundays, I don't think. Yep. There was one that was open maybe in the city, but only till 12. So you can't do your shopping on a Sunday afternoon. Um the streets are sand. The Everything's different. The street sign isn't on the corner of the street. It's as you come up to the intersection, it's two metres back and you have to have read it before you, before you get there. Like, there's all these things, Will. How did I cope? I'm so bright. I'm on the front lines trying to find signs. Um, uh, comedy is where I found my friends in Perth, which made it, it – you sort of get an instant community, which helped, um, even though I was terrible, horrible at comedy in Perth. Very, it wasn't my true voice and I knew it wasn't. What what was what was the voice that you it, were? Um, it was pretty, very inauthentic, smutty, kind of almost, not one-liners but not stories in the middle, like little made-up bits, if that makes sense. Um, because it got a laugh, it got a noise out of the audience and I worked that out. I was like, if I say words like... Oh, anal, cum, whatever. I was like, oh, the audience will make a sound. And then as you go on, as you know, you you learn there's different laughs and they're just reacting there's out of There's good control. sounds and bad sounds. Yeah. Like at the start, you're just happy for sounds. Any sounds. Anything that isn't silence, you'll yeah. take at the start. But after yeah. a while, you start to be a bit more discerning about what sort of sounds you're provoking from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so comedy was a real uh, useful tool to gain – some friends pretty quickly. Also the job, a lot of people at this job were like me for once, whereas teachers are, uh, I think they're all d- very different people. But at this job in the arts department, everyone wore dinosaur designs, necklaces and a lot of black and wanted to go and find the best coffee. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm into. Um, so I found my in the job and in comedy, I found some good community for the first time really since high school, which is pr- probably what I was looking for maybe. Um, and I stayed there for a while. I stayed there for probably four years, mm. maybe three or four years, yeah. And so you, you're doing comedy like while you're working. How often, like because I don't really understand how often you can do comedy in Perth. Like is it like once a week? Is it once a month? Is it like... Like what? Um, how often do you, were you doing it? Do you think? I reckon no. There, there was a few rooms. I would have been doing comedy once I got a little bit good. You know when you get a little bit good and you've almost got ten minutes, maybe you, you get given a paid ten for fifty dollars, and you think oh, this this is free money. I can't. <laughs> What a fool this room runner is to throw me because I've only actually got seven, but I'm going to speak slowly. Mm-hmm. I was at that point um, probably doing two gigs a week once I really started to enjoy it. Um, yeah, that would be probably the average, but not most of them not paid really, just on open mic lineups, the occasional $50, you know, yeah. And you talk about that community that you found there, those friends that you found there at the time. Like, 
was it a supportive environment creatively as well? Like were those friends, were you all like working together to, you know, encourage each other creatively on that journey or was it just a friendship of we are at these shows together? We became proper friends outside of the shows and supported each other and would run bits by each other. Um, uh, I was the the only girl in the group though, which which was I liked. I didn't have an issue with it. But I didn't I didn't even notice it um, that I that it was that I was one of the only girls around. There was a couple. There wasn't many. Um, but the community, like I'm still, I'm still friends with these people who, who tolerated me back then when I was just <laughs> doing jokes about ironing my pubic hair, Will. <laughs> you know, just garbage. <laughs> so how did you then develop past that? Like where did, when did you put the iron away and like, yeah. you know, Where does the the voice actually start to develop? Okay. This this is where it happens. So um, Josh Thomas came over to Perth to do the Perth Comedy Festival and I knew he lived in Brisbane. And he and I, people were like, you're both from Brisbane. Talk to him. And so I talked to Josh a little bit and made a, a small connection. Maybe we were MySpace friends, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, then I top, top, top eight, um, or just, geez, I would have out of politeness, I would have chucked him in my top eight. Yeah. Then I, when I eventually uh, moved back to Brisbane, I still didn't have my real voice at all in Perth. It was all like, not me. I moved back to Brisbane. Um, I kind of strike Josh, Josh is a big part of the Brisbane scene and, um, he wasn't gay yet. Well, he wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't yeah. out. Neither was oh, I. Oh, I know. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember when you both weren't gay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh and I just two heterosexual. <laughs> just just <laughs> the two most hetero Brisbane comics uh-huh. rolling around town. <laughs> what have what those two got in common? They both have a wonderful cardigan on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Josh and I became really fast friends uh-huh. and – his uh who else was around tom ward who was in please like me with josh lived in brisbane as well we became a little group and josh for um just was the only person i thank him for it who gave it to me straight and he said why don't you be funny on stage the way you are with us and with your friends why don't you try that because he said it quite politely but i got the he was like that's not going to get you anywhere basically he goes um, this is just for you, Will. This has got to come out. He goes, you're like a young Bev Killick. That's the track you're on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I think Josh was letting me know that I probably wasn't headed. I wasn't on the right path if I wanted to make this a career, right? He goes, P- people who do one-liners and, and what you do don't advance anywhere. I was like, okay. And he go- and then he sat. He literally sat down with me at his house in New Farm in Brisbane and he got a piece of paper and he goes, right, what was the thing you were saying before about your dad? And he goes, okay, say this, 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 and this, this. And we went to an open mic night that we were both on at, and he goes, it's open mic in Brisbane. No one's here. Who cares? Just do it. Just do these, just do this story about your dad. It was something like that. And I was like, okay. And I took this huge risk, it felt very scary, to let go of 
jokes with punchlines, with rude words that we know would get sounds to tell a story. God, so vulnerable. And it crushed. And he was right. And I got a different sound out of the audience. And I noticed they were sitting and listening and watching for once. And that was my breakthrough. And it was because of Josh. And then from there, I started to think, what what else, what other material would, you know, could we do that isn't just um, about uh, how how pubes are like Julia Gillard? I need to know what the punchline of that was, but I <laughs> – we... <laughs> Like yeah. what a what an intriguing setup that is. Mm. Um, original. <laughs> so, but I'm interested in like that strength of like being a friend who, you know, if I if I have broccoli like you know in my teeth, I'd rather you as a friend tell me I have broccoli in my teeth than me walk around all day like with broccoli in my teeth and we get to the end of the day and saying, hey, I saw Mel earlier and like I've definitely had this broccoli in my teeth. Why did she never tell me that I had it? And yet I worry that I'm the sort of person who would let the person keep the broccoli in their taste because I wouldn't want to embarrass them or embarrass me or make a fuss or like, you know, say that. Do you think you are the sort of person – I mean you were the person in this scenario who had someone say it to you – if the roles were reversed, are you the sort of person who could say that to somebody else? Look, I have over the years very mildly, nowhere near as straightforward as Josh, tried to give people some very delicate, soft advice and it hasn't been received. They don't change it. Hmm. You know what? I'm not going to have – I've had one very – Slight, light, mild go at perhaps mm. saying that you can't do that accent from that race that you don't belong to on stage <laughs> anymore, for example, Will. Um, and it, no, the answer is no, Will. Um, I don't have it in me. I, I mean, I don't either. And no. I admire it in other people when they can do it. I can – Offer advice if I'm asked for advice. If somebody says to me, please have a look and tell me what you think, I can offer advice. But that idea that I could give somebody unsolicited, life-changing advice in that way is confronting. And, I mean, the accent thing is hilarious. I am so grateful because obviously I've been doing this for 30 years and comedy has changed a lot of what is acceptable in 30 years. And I am so grateful that I never had a talent for accents like, I, I can't do them. Like, and therefore I have nothing, like, dodgy in regard to accents in my back catalogue. But 30 years ago, if I'd had the capacity to do accents, you know there would be at least a couple that, like, at the time were fine <laughs> that yeah. have not, not aged very well at all. I was right on the cusp of when people started filming their sets and putting them on YouTube. And I, I'm really lucky Will is all I'll say <laughs> the first two years of, of my stand-up, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested in that, like just while we're talking about it, because you've found a great deal of success online and we'll get back to that I think chronologically a little bit later, but you have now mm-hmm. as a, like a fully formed comedian, like utilised online as such a really valuable part of your career and it's actually got like a your work out to a much broader audience like using that online. But of course for – Kids who are coming through now, and I say kids in the comedy sense, people who are new to comedy, 
um, this is seen as the future and because it is so accessible, like a lot of people do film from the very start or they broadcast. They don't just film from the start but they film and broadcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the start. Like yeah. do you have thoughts around Oh, I've got that? <laughs> Yep. You bet. Um <laughs> All I'll say, Will, is I look back on a festival show that I did maybe even one year ago or two years ago and I look back at the jokes, even with that shorter turnaround, and I think, oh, my God, how embarrassing. Who was that person two years ago doing that, saying that? And there's no evidence of these festival shows. They just happened in a room, rooms around the country, and they're done. And I'm I'm like, if I'm that cringe at myself as a professional who's probably, I don't know, I might have done 10 Melbourne comedy festivals, maybe 12, I don't know. If I'm that critical of myself and so aware of how quickly I've moved on and changed, maybe if you've been doing comedy for six months, a good permanent record of what you've done being filmed forever on the internet isn't a great idea. A couple of reasons. Number one, you hopefully you will develop and get better and realise that when you thought you were great, you weren't actually that great. But also I used to, and I still don't have a lot of stuff stand up online, other stuff I have online, but I want, when someone's Googling me and going, should we get Buttle in to be on the show? Should we get her as a guest on the radio? I want real, I want you to find my best, my gala set. You know, I don't want you to see me at the chuckle hut in 2013, talking about stuff I shouldn't be, you know, put, I want you, if it's online, people who work in the industry who are going to offer you money and put money on in your pocket will look at it and see it. So if you don't want the head of ABC comedy to see your four minute set filmed at midnight at the bum fuck nowhere comedy club, don't put it on the internet. Save it for you. Watch it. Review your footage. Show your peers. What do you reckon? Sure. Maybe it doesn't need to be up there. I, Look, I, every time some young comedian sends me like a clip from their early days and says, can you have a look at this and give me some advice, the first piece of advice I give them is take it down. Yeah. Yeah. Take it down. Like t- only two things can happen. One is that you have put a permanent record of you being shit on the internet, even if it's good, even if it is good, it can be damaging in another way, which is if it goes well – you get stuck there because your audience then just expects that to you. Like, I mean, it it gives you no – if the Julia Gillard's pube thing blows oh. up online, yes. you know, there is a sense of, well, why would I move on from the Julia Gillard's pube stuff? Because – and so I think creatively you never want to get stuck at your first draft. You don't want to, like, have to even – so even if in you think as a young person you think, oh, this will be brilliant, I'll get to, you know – but the, I've seen so many people have success with something early on when it does, you know, where they roll the dice and it actually comes up their lucky number and then they just get stuck having to do that same thing over and over and over because their audience, they think that's the only thing they can do and it's the only thing that they want from them and that can also be a set of handcuffs yeah. as well. Yeah. So as a creative person who wants to go on yeah. a, like a journey and some growth, like so – I think it's worth talking about. And I'm not suggesting to people that they shouldn't be broadcasting things and I'm not suggesting to people that they shouldn't be like experimenting. But I can tell you 100% what you said just before is the case. 
I do a television show where we often use newer people, particularly in workshops or, you know, encourage people to come through. And if someone sends me a name of, hey, do you know this comedian? The first thing I do is just Google their name and watch some clips that come up. Now, I know enough about comedy to hopefully prioritise that a comedy up late spot is better than the chuckle yeah. hut spot, yeah. but yeah. but I'm still probably going to watch both of them. Oh, <laughs> you? Yeah. And you don't want me to watch both of them. No, no. No, I want people in rooms who decide if I get a job no. or an invite to have to go on my Melbourne gala set that's professionally shot, heavily edited. It's got six back-to-back strong laughs in it. I want you to decide that. I want you to see that I've hosted five seasons of Bake Off. Um, you can make your decisions on me on my best, best available, the top stuff I've ever done. And then if that's not enough, you can ask around. And whatever, you know, people want to say about me, they can say, and I, I hope it's positive, but I reckon that is going to be a stronger offering than... What's the deal with uh, cats, guys? You guys, who's got a cat here? Like, put your, like, don't, we don't need to film our practices. Right. Yeah. You film your practices for you, for you because that's what the scene is mostly. It's practice, right? Like, that's it's not the be-all and end-all. It's the place you practice to get good before it becomes the be-all and end-all. And what you said before about that idea of getting your show right, even in Brisbane to a certain extent before you take it to Sydney and Melbourne, is such a great insight and, like, lesson for people. But let's talk about the positives of social media because it's been also really positive for your career at this point of your career. Talk to me about how... Like, it, you know, you've utilised it and how it's kind of, you know, in a way it's really like, you know, not not changed your career, but it's certainly accelerated a, like the projection of your career. So let's talk about the, you know, we've talked about all the negative part of it. Let's talk about some of the positive right. side of it. So it sort of came, this character I do is called Lynn. She is a baby boomer mum. She's all over my social media. People really connect with her. Lynn was a kind of a COVID creation. I was like, I have to put something out somehow. For me, for myself, I have to keep doing something creative and I need a product where people can see me because there's no live shows and I'm not going to pop up on a telly show. I need something to do. Um, I work with an amazing psychologist who truly gets what I do for a job and understands what I need. And she said to me, you need to make a video of something. For, you need to put it up. If it doesn't go well, you can take it down, but you need to do it because I, I had a huge like hoodoo hanging over me. I was like, I, I don't make content. I can't put things up on the internet. People will say stuff. I, I was too afraid to put, it sounds so dumb now, a video up on Instagram, right? What uh, was the fear? Like, I mean, like you, you kind of half hinted at it, but... People would bully me. Other comedians would talk behind. You'd be screenshotted to group chats. Have you seen this fucking shit from Buttle? Who does she think she is? But you know well, that's going to be the case regardless. Of course. Like it doesn't matter yeah. what you do or what you don't do. People mm-hmm. are doing that. You have no control over that. So she, my, my psychologist, she's very practical and she's like, next time you walk in my office, you would have put a video up on Instagram and if you haven't, I'm going to cancel your appointment. Like, that yes. cheese, which is how I need to be spoken to, right? Oh my god! 
Um, I love this woman already. I'm going to get – like I, if she does online stuff, I need her details. Uh, you – I'm going <laughs> to talk about her off air and you're going to – she'll be in here. She's amazing. So um, I did it. I made some stupid video with – I was like it's a – I think the idea was I'm hosting a talk show with a dog, with my dog, but the dog can't talk. It was like a 30-second, but I did. I did the job that she said, right? And I was like that's that's not quite it. That's not it. And then I thought – Kind of like what Josh said to me years ago, and this sort of voice in my head of "Go, why don't you go with what you know? Just, just be you." This was sort of swirling around. What I've started doing backstage at comedy rooms because everyone who does comedy now, Will, as you might have noticed, is like looks fourteen. I know they're twenty three, <laughs> but I'm like, how did you get here? Where's your mum? What's who are you? Like, yeah. and that. So, now, do you think that is because you're just older and everybody? Because there is a point. As a man, well, like I just uh, from my own, I, like I'm not going to speak for all men because I've I realised that that's like a ridiculous, dumb thing to do. But there was a point that I realised that like young, like women who were like 18, 19, 20, there was just one day I was like, it looks like your teeth haven't grown into your face yet. Or like, you know, like it's not like you're like you're not fully yeah. assembled. You don't yeah. look like an adult. You look like a child still to me, even though when I was 19 or 20 or 21, I felt like a fully grown adult yes. person. And I think it probably is just like that I had got older. But do you think that like, do you think that young people look younger or are you just older and that's how you see them? I think it's, I think I'm just older and that's how I see them. But I also think there's a lot more people doing comedy now and they're starting a lot Younger. Younger. Yeah. Okay. So, so both. Both. Yeah. So what I found myself sometimes doing backstage at comedy rooms and around young comedians is I would just slip into that mum character for a bit of backstage banter to muck around. You know, we just do shit, right? And so I would turn into Lynn as a response to being on a lineup with people who mm. are, are, to me, feel very young. And then... In my head, I was like, what? Why don't you just put that up? People seem to like that. Why don't you just see how it goes? You can always take it down. And I thought, also, it's just my mum, so no one else will get it. No one else will have a mum like this, and no one else will understand, but I'll just do it just to do the video because my psychologist said I have to do a video and yeah, blah, blah. And it went nuts, and then I kept making them. They'd go. When did it first, like, I mean, first video mm. went, like, or was it like, did you, like, was there a particular moment where you noticed – or hang on, this has just gone so much better than I imagined it was going to go. Did it Did it get rebroadcast somewhere or did somebody identify it in particular? Like is there something that you can identify that is like, oh, well, this is why it went bang? I started doing with no show on sale, mm. with no nothing else going on. I started doing radio interviews just about Lynn. People – hello, Mel, it's ABC Radio and Hobart. We love Lynn. Can we talk to you about where Lynn came from? All right. Just, just about her. Like, I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't, like, I'm, there's just no reason for the chat except we love Lynn. And that started happening a lot. Then I noticed the, the, the views would go quite large. And also the comments showed me they were really watching to the end of the video and taking in these made-up names and characters and saying a punchline to me from four videos ago. I was like, oh, this this is connected, right? St now, we jump forward to now, People, when people stop me on the street, it is because of these Lynn videos, which 
is amazing. <laughs> and I think it's a bit annoying as well, Will, because as you know, I've been doing this for a while and doing lots of other things and people see the Lynn videos and then I'll, on they follow my social media, then I'll say, hi, I'm on Question Everything with Will. Um, and they'll be like, oh, wow. <laughs> like I think they think it's it's just started this year. Like I do the Lynn videos. Will Anderson sees it. I'm, God, I'm on his show twice this season. That must be must be amazing for me as just a, <laughs> just as a someone who's just been doing Lynn on a yeah. line. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was like, wow, she's really got some skills behind behind that Lynn video. Um, so it, yeah, I think some fans think, isn't it amazing that Lynn's brought you all this new success? Um, but Lynn is just, I've had the finally had the confidence to do to look a bit silly on social media to make a video. Uh, to to deal with the comments because people get offended at everything. Why are you making fun of women of a certain age? Hmm, anti-woman. Uh, it's uh, it's actually like actually made with incredible love and care. Whatever. Uh, so you know, for once I was willing to cop the negatives for the the for the joy I think Lynn brings people. Yeah. So why? So because I mean, obviously, when you do anything online. There's a couple of things actually I want to like flesh out of this. I'm going to put a pin in the idea of being identified by something that isn't all that you do, and yes. be, and I because yep. I personally also know the frustrations of that. Like I mean, when Gruen started, like you know, because it was 16 years ago now, like it was a huge hit, like you know, like a really ridiculously big show, like when it first started, and. It, there was a lot of people who just didn't know me from anything else at that point. And then I became that guy from the advertising show. And I did find it really confronting that I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for like a decade. Like I did the Triple J breakfast show. I did the glass, like, but people didn't know about those things. This was like, it went to a broader audience. So I'd love to get back to the, like just that. And like, but I want, what I first want to talk about the online of it all because there is this aspect of online as opposed to traditional broadcast I'm off all social media, so but I can make this podcast with you, put it out, that's it. That, that's But when you're doing something like a Lynn on Instagram or something that lives in that social world, there is an implied part of the responsibility that is that the comments, the interaction, the feedback is actually part of it. And if you just purely broadcast without taking account to any of that, then it isn't fully part of the deal. In fact, algorithmically, a lot of these places are set up, you know, that they reward the fact that there is, you know, interaction and feedback and all these things. So, like, how, why with this are you willing to, like, let the negative stuff pass by in a way that you might not with something else? Yeah. I've been thinking about <laughs> this. I reckon, and it's, why I will cop it is because it's very, it's, it's kind of cl very close to, like if I had a uh, a motto about stand up, it would be something like, "Is it your story to tell? If it isn't, why are you telling it? Let that person tell it. This is my story to tell. It hurts nobody. It's not malicious. I've gone through this huge checklist in my mind on it." Um, I control it 100%. So Lynn, Lynn never swears Lynn. Oh, actually, that is not true. Sorry. Lynn very mildly occasionally swears. Um, I have all these made up rules for Lynn to keep Lynn 
as appealing as possible. So Lynn did a Don't Forget to Vote video when we had our last federal election. She didn't say for who, and then people, and that engages the comments. People try and guess who might Lynn vote for or whatever, and I never would say. So I have created this thing that I control completely that is my story to tell that is very genuine to me in my lived experience that does no harm to anyone, uh, that reflects and blows up an age, if I had to get a bit um, analytical on it, it highlights an age group of women who are minimised and makes them seen. So I was like, I am doing nothing wrong here and I make no money directly from these videos. I'm doing this to give people joy and it gives me joy. So if you want to have a go at that, I actually think there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Whereas other videos, I'm like, yes, it's a clip of the time I was on this network show that I don't control. I'm doing it for the money. Oh, I can't believe you work for them. They're maggots. All right. Mm. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find people not to work for who aren't maggots, though. <laughs> most uh, of, most yeah. of the people who control work are maggots. So. Yeah, very maggot heavy. <laughs> okay, so there's that, that aspect of it. And very healthy, that sounds to me, because – the one thing, and this goes back to that idea of also like when somebody posts a clip early on, the thing that you're posting for as a young person is reassurance. You want people to say positive things. Unfortunately, you're not mature enough probably to have your armour up against the inevitable negativity that will come because there is nothing that has ever been posted. I'm sure that Gal Gadot thought she was doing the right thing when she got all her celebrity mates to sing Imagine. She didn't go into that thinking that it was going to ruin her entire career. (laughs) Like, you know, because she was – like, you know, it was dumb and, like, she didn't think it through but she wasn't – she didn't have bad intentions. It was naive. She had actually good intentions. People judge everything negatively. Like, you know, so – to have those parameters by which you can judge something, rules around it, knowing what you do, and then that capacity to go, well, okay, if it fits within these parameters and I'm happy with that, I can then block out that negativity. I think is so emotionally mature and comedically mature and it's like – it's genuinely admirable. Like um, I had to just get off all social media because I hate other people's opinions. <laughs> so <laughs> there's also yeah. that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – I am interested in the whole when something you create becomes bigger than the the whole of you, right? Because that in its own way can be like a, a blessing as well as a curse. Well, I found myself becoming a little bit frustrated with I would post something that is just to do with me, my life or nothing to do with Lynn. Maybe I'm promoting a show or something or whatever it is and people would – be like, is Lynn going to be there? I'm like, no, Lynn's not going to be there. Like, it's just me. Like, so, I, which is stupid because they're enga- they love you, Mel. That's why they're writing that. They're engaging with you. They love Lynn that you created. Um, or put a, a picture with some other comedians backstage. Oh, Lynn would have loved those young boys. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't matter. Like, but I was like, you need to receive, Mel, that people are going to engage with you as they see fit and that's a, still a positive comment. Someone has taken the time to comment on your photo. They're not being mean to you. Oh, it's not your dream comment. That 
who get over yourself. Like I've had, I've had to really. If you want to get a million views, you're going to get a lot of comments to get to that. So not every single one of them is going to fall into my perfect rules of what you should be writing on the internet. So I've had to get over some things. Um, uh, but then what yeah. about creatively when you're doing like a show? So like you're uh-huh. a person, like you said, you've done 10 or 12 like Melbourne comedy festivals, you know, pre-Lynn, you know, like let's yeah. talk about yeah. like the pre-Lynn and post-Lynn timelines, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you're a person who, you know, put away the Ju- – Ju- I'm never going to let this Julia Gillard's pub no. thing go, by the way, but <laughs> you've put that away. Yeah. You've, you've become like a comedic artist in your own right, written these like, you know, shows, you know, constructed this universe, built a career – and then off the back of Lynn, you know, suddenly sales to everything, you know, probably go through the roof. Like there's, you know, like playing bigger venues, you know, selling more tickets, like bigger runs. There, It's interesting sometimes when, you know, there's a version of, I remember going to see, do you know, the New Zealand hip hop artist Scribe? Do you yes. remember Scribe? Not many, if any, many. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Scribe, I saw him at the big day out and Scribe at the start of his, like the, the start of his set just went, look, I know most of you are here for this. So like if you're only here for this and you don't want to see the rest of it, I'm just going to do it now and you can go off and do whatever it is that you want to do. Turns out that Scribe was lying because he did it again at the end, did a little not many sandwich, did a remix at the end. So I because I, I stay for the whole gig. I actually quite oh, like Scribe. But, but hmm. There are also some artists, you know, famously in Byron Bay, they still talk about the fact that Counting Crows played Byron Blues Fest and didn't sing Mr. Jones. So, like, you know, they've been talking about it for a decade, (laughs) about the time that Adam Duritz and the Counting Crows came to town and didn't sing Mr. Jones. So there, there must, like, how do you then deal with this idea that whether you do Lynn or don't do Lynn, like the the whole lin of it all now exists in like the construction of what it is that you're doing live. So to get over the hump for this year yeah. when the ticket sales went way bigger than I think anyone might have expected and a national tour was put together to to meet demand, right? So I sold out my Melbourne run before I had even started, which is never even been anywhere near close to happening for me before. It's very difficult to do. Um, yeah, so that blew me away. Then I'm playing these these venues that are literally ten times what I have ever played before, maybe. Um, I knew that if I did Lynn live, the audience, a lot like Scribe, would not let me stop being Lynn. So if I did her, even if I made them wait till the very end and I come out as Lynn in the cardigan and the glass, They'll be like, yeah. (laughs) I knew if I said, okay, that's it. You've had your five minutes of win, blackout, good night. Then there would be like booze or we want more. Like, okay. So I was like, I don't reckon I can do her live. So I spoke to our friends who produce our shows, Will, and they had this idea to make a video because Lynn is in video form. Why don't we make a video to start the show as Lynn to give people you're in the right place. You're going to see Mel do some stand up soon, but here's what here's what you you're here for. So they got a, a taste of Lynn at the start, and it was a Lynn video like I would make at the theatre. It's filmed. We filmed it in the Brisbane Powerhouse, 
and it's Lynn doing Lynn if Lynn was at the show, right? Then I, I get off, they clap and cheer off that high. I come out, I address the elephant in the room. Like, I know you're all here for Lynn. Sucked in, no refunds, too late. Um, yeah. <laughs> the live performance Australia Code strictly prohibits it. Uh, and then I do some stand-up that's pretty general and light because my audience has changed. They are the age of Lynn. They've seen themselves and they don't see that they're being mocked. They see they're being shown and they're included and they buy tickets to the show. So I've got this. That's also why you can look at those comments of anyone who's saying that you're mocking these people and say, well, that's not right because these people that you like are alleging that I'm mocking are the people buying tickets to the show like they they feel seen, they don't feel mocked. Correct. Right? Big groups of girls, Lynn, yeah. Dot, Gail, Colleen, Maureen, they're all there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's the first show they've ever been to. Yeah. Or it's the second show they've ever been to. Um, and the last one was ten years ago when they went and saw what's his name and he has the puppet. That's mm. as specific as I can get, right? Um, Are we so talking I, David Strassman? We or? Are. <laughs> You bet. Your father and I win. Um, so then I win them over with some pretty mild stand-up. I structured this show this year because I rec- I knew this was a new audience for me. Uh, I'm going to win you over, chat about myself generally, make you feel pretty safe. Then we're going to get into gay. I'm a mum. Here's my darkest thoughts I've ever had about my kid. In the middle, guess what? Lynn video at the end. So you leave on a high second video at the end of the show. You've had two tastes of Lynn. You've had a bit of stand-up in the middle. Please come back next year where there will be, I would love, I look to be decided, I would love to not have to have Lynn in the live show. Lynn can do something on her own, sure. Very separate. I don't know what it would be. But, yeah, so that's how I managed it this this yeah, so you literally yeah. did the scribe method. I did the scribe. <laughs> the scribe sandwich. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Top and tail. That makes sense to me though like, because you don't want to have that, you know, ex- like I mean you want to reward the fact that they like this thing that you did. Yes, yes. But without it, let it, it overwhelming, you can still do everything that you want to do in the middle of it, right? Like it, it doesn't interrupt what you do. It's – Top and tail and you get to do what you want to do in the middle of it. Now, how did that transition go? Did you find that they all came along for the journey? Like was it a bumpy ride for some of them or were they they got they were like, okay, you've given me enough of what I came here for. Now I'm happy for you to do what you want to do as well. As long as, you know, you you can you can sing your new songs as long as you play your greatest hits yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um the audience in the room, as far as I could tell, were having a great time and the shows, on the whole, were, were good and went off. There was the occasional, and I reckon I've done, I've done every Australian city this year and I would have got a total of four, three to four comments um, that they thought the show was going to be 100% Lynn. They didn't like the swearing um, uh, and they were not too impressed. But out of the thousands and thousands of people who saw the show, that's really not too bad. No, it's good. That's pretty good. (laughs) I also did a number of special posts reminding everyone that Lynn is not in the show. So I made Mm. sure the expectation was zero Lynn, right? Then if then you got a little bit, you were absolutely blown away. 
So I was like, Lynn is not in the show this year. Just a reminder, please don't buy tickets. Don't expect to see her. She's not there. Thanks if you want to come anyway. Um, but yeah, there's a few people who missed that and were like pretty disappointed. So oh, well. I even offered one woman a re- this on Facebook. I said, would you like a, a refund? I'm happy to give you uh, out of my own money. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. Well, don't whinge then. If you don't want action taken, you just want to have a whinge, thanks. I, I did. I've, I've only ever once done a – it was the year post-COVID. I did a return season of a show, you know, because we didn't know what, whether the festival was going to happen or whether, you know – and so I did a return season. But it was advertised as a return season. had the same uh, – it was my show about being arrested on the way to Wagga Wagga. Oh, and yeah, I sort yeah, of just yeah. in an updated version of that show. Like there was some new stuff to put in and, and whatever. But it was advertised – in, entirely as like, you know, same show, it's called Will Legal, same poster, return season. There was one person who messaged me going, I really like you, but I came and saw the show, it was exactly the same material as last time I saw you. And I was like, well, I feel like I've done everything I could possibly do to yeah. <laughs> to yeah. make you aware of the fact that it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Occasionally, people are going to be mad regardless. That's that you can't, you can't protect everybody from you know you've given them fair warning right you haven't tricked them in i've not tricked them i didn't put lynn on the poster yeah she's not in the ads i did everything i could do to make sure you understood you were coming to see my i replied to Mm. every comment that asked no it's just my stand-up no it's a stand-up show yeah, and and, and and like I mean, you overdid it because there was Lynn. They did actually get some Lynn. What a trick! I got you. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, well, enough enough of Lynn. Let's talk more about Mel because you know you've referenced. The, you know, the difference. And obviously there might be people who know you more from one thing now and they're more curious in your life and they might not know about, you know, these other aspects of your life that you are, you know, talking about now and like, you know, what your life looks like and, you know, did you – were you always comfortable – like how, how was your journey talking about like your sexuality and your mm-hmm. – like, you know, like – being a mum and, and mm-hmm. you know, how that all works and, like, what, you know, all that sort of, like, was that, how was your journey to, like, take that stuff to stage? So with the sexuality stuff, for a while, for, so I, I, I had a, my first girlfriend and I, I reckon I was with her for maybe a, a year or two before I spoke about it on stage. Now, not because I was trying to hide it, we would be holding hands in public. Like all of our friends knew I had a girlfriend or my family. It was not hidden, but I, I wouldn't mention it in interviews and I wouldn't talk about it on stage because I didn't have the jokes. Like my brain hadn't had enough time to catch up to not only am I now dating a woman and all of this, but I haven't got the jokes yet. So, and it was the same with my son, the first couple of cities in this tour didn't get the level of jokes that the last few got about him. Cause I, my bro, I had nothing, nothing funny to say. Um, it, so I was like, it, because it takes, cause comedy is how I process everything that happens in my life. Right. So I hadn't processed it. I hadn't found my angle, my viewpoint, my on 
being gay and having a kid, and I'm not going to talk about it half-heartedly. I'm going to wait till I have something funny to say. So I didn't have any issues with being like, oh, I've tricked everyone, I'm, I'm closeted. I'm like, no, but also that's crap. Everyone's on their own journey in their own timeline. If you don't come out till you're 71, who cares? If you can come out at 19, amazing for you. There is no right or wrong way or time. It's just, it's up to you, right? So I came out at about 30, I think, but I also got my first girlfriend ever at 30. So it's not like I had girls my whole life and then I didn't tell anyone for 15 years. But also the argument of, well, you're a role model. You have to, I was, I was nothing 10 years ago. I, I had no platform. Like, your, your platform, what my, my 4,000 Instagram followers, that's not a platform. Um, for but also, I mean, I, I, yeah, look, I mean, I, the, I, I think about this a lot in relation to, um, the, there was a big ABC Four Corners story about gay players in the, so the AFLW and female female sports women in particular, the you know the Matildas, yeah, we're very aware of the same sex relationships. We're quite comfortable with them. We celebrate them even, I think, to a certain extent now. Like I do think there's just a normalization of those sort of relationships. Like male male relationships, absolutely not at the same level at this point. No, oh, sorry, I'm, hang on, my dog needs to go outside. I'm just going to quickly do that. No worries. She's scratching at the door. And we'll just sit out the three minutes till she wants to come back in. She'll be back uh, in soon. I've yeah. left the door open, but, oh, she, but yeah. she, what she will want to do absolutely is get back up on the couch and she'll bark at me about that. But uh, listeners of the podcast are very familiar with that because that happens every single episode of this po- podcast is at some stage the dog needs to get onto the couch. She's old. She can't get up on the couch by herself. And I do get some of those stairs that, you know, she can get up on the couch. She doesn't like those. She likes to bark until I lift her up onto the couch, which will happen soon. You'll get to experience right. that. I yes. was talking to – so I'm a big AFL fan. And yes. so Four Corners did this big story about – why has there been no gay players in the AFL? Which is not correct, by the way. There's plenty of gay players in the AFL. Of course there is. And there are plenty of what I would consider to be out gay players in the AFL in that their teammates and friends know. Now, do I wish that they like it was an environment in which they felt happy or safe or whatever for everybody to know? Of course I do. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. But do they have a responsibility to tell people about – I don't think you do. I don't think that you do have a responsibility. Like I don't want people to know about my private life, like in any regard. Like do I want it to be a place where everybody, if they want to be able to talk about it, feels safe to talk about it and doesn't feel like it's a big deal? Yes, 100%. And, of course, as you know, that takes some examples, Right. If you can see it, you can be it. And the more you see it, the more normalised it becomes and the more comfortable you feel. So I understand all sides of this, you know, that, that, you know, like I understand why people say, you know, you're a role model and if, you know, you can be out there and talking about these things, it means that somebody else who's sitting there and might not have the words or the, you know, the comfort to be able to express who they are, then that's a really important thing. But I also think that it's a lot of responsibility to put on anyone to – have to yes. do that as well. Yeah. And so I just have enormous empathy all round, you know, for that, which is, you know, I get why, but I also get why, you know. And Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm the same. I, I 
sometimes I think I don't gay it. You know what? It's taken me a long time, to be honest, to really, I'm not, you know what? I don't even really hit hard to make small, subtle, getting, they're getting less subtle comments about my sexuality on mainstream media platforms. So stage for me is one thing. Like it's not being recorded. It's in a room. It feels a bit safer. But like on the project recently in in a segment I do there, I made a joke about the kind of car I have and how it's um, it's a car for a lot of lesbians have this car, right? Um, I wouldn't have probably been comfortable enough to do that probably even two years ago, I reckon. Um, but I'm like, it's still in the minor. It's not the main uh, string I pluck to be funny, if that makes sense. There's other things. So it, at the start, when you're like, who are you? Describe yourself. I didn't mention it. Because I get more jokes out of maybe being from Brisbane, for example, than I do about being gay. So I, I don't lead with it. And maybe there's people like, well, that's because you've got internalised homophobia. I'm like, yeah, or maybe everyone else is doing that section of the market in my job really well and I don't have anything unique to add. And until I do, I won't bother saying it. Um, so I'm a, bit, I, I'm a bit torn on it as well, Will. I'm like, should I be in every interview and everything – making sure everyone knows I'm definitely gay? Or does everyone already know and no one cares? You know, am I being a, a bad gay? And that's an in inverted commas because, yeah, that's a bit of a thing in the community as well. Oh, you're, you know. Because I don't get invited to do certain um, gay events and gigs and things. Not gay enough. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Well, I, again, like, I mean, it's – but all this stuff is complicated, right? And yeah. I understand – Absolutely, it's that because I've been around comedy long enough that you know I can remember gay comedians whose entire act was very camp and gay because that was the expression of like you know this is who I am and this is this point of difference and the way that we're speaking and then over the years you've just seen various people of various sexualities and genders and all sorts of things become more nuanced and I don't mean that as a criticism of anybody I just mean that because they're not the one when you're not the one it could, it could be a race thing right yes. like you know the asian comedian who used to make predominantly jokes about being asian whereas now you can just be an a, a person who is asian who is a comedian who talks about anything right you don't need to do a whole bunch of gear about being asian necessarily unless you want to like you know so i think that's a good thing right like when you don't ha like when the thing like one part of who you are doesn't have to be all of who you are. I mean, to me, that that feels, I don't know, that feels more accepting. Like if you're not judging people as just this one thing about them defines all of who they are. But again, I don't, I mean, it's a nuanced and complicated conversation. It's. it's I do still in 2023 read a room mm. and, the, and a gig and not everyone, mm. if you don't, if I don't want to say it, if I don't think it's a good idea, I'm not going to say it yeah. because I guess I don't have to maybe, no. you know, maybe I don't have to. Maybe the the gigs I'm doing in regional parts of Australia, not every room needs to hear that out loud or not every cruise ship or whatever, wherever I am. You know, if I'm only doing a 10-minute set, my best 10 minutes 
probably doesn't have jokes about being gay in it sometimes. My best 10 minutes at the moment has jokes about being a mum. So that's what you're going to get. It, it must be complicated too. I, I won't name this comedian because it would be unfair to them for what I'm about to say. But I don't mean it as a criticism. I just saw somebody recently who like – their whole shtick was a bit about like people being outraged by the you know, gay and provocative things that they were saying. And I was like, oh, what a complex time for you because like a lot of places you play, I bet that is still the case. Like, you know, some of these things you're saying would seem, you know, very high camp and outrageous and whatever it is. And this person was a great entertainer. I don't mean any of this as a criticism. I just found it – but the, the, this particular gig I saw them at was like, inner city Sydney 10 minutes from Oxford Street where I was just like no one in this room is <laughs> thinks that anything you're saying is out of the norm or provocative so it's also contextual as you say wherever you might be things are I mean but that's the same anyway I, it's a complicated area and I don't think there is like a right or wrong or rules although I'm sure that people do have them uh I ask people on this podcast if they have a particular life philosophy and this seems like as good a time as any to ask you that question. So do you? Like is there is there one or has there been one or yeah. – yeah? Sort of. I think it's – look, it's it's mostly my comedy philosophy. Um, it's – half of it is from Josh Thomas. I've stolen half of it. I'm going to admit that straight up. And the other half is kind of what I was saying about how I've allowed myself to take the risk with and do Lynn in the way I've done her. So it's kind of two parts to it. Um, the, f- the first bit is, is it your story to tell? Because I've, the times I've come unstuck is because it hasn't been my story to tell. So before we move on to the second half then, let's just like have a little chat about that because I love it and I think I understand it. But like for the audience who are listening, like who maybe don't have at least the comedic insight to what you're saying, like what do you mean by is it your story to tell? I I mean it in the comedy sense and way down in the screen shotting what someone said in a friend. I mean – is it my is it my place to tell uh, my friend that so and so is pregnant because it's a bit of goss? It's not. It's not my story to tell. So I mean it at that basic level. Will I mean? Are you speaking out of school? Are you sharing something because you want to impress someone with your gossiping ability? I mean at that basic level. At the comedy level, I mean, if did it happen? I don't say it on stage unless it happened to me. I saw it happen. I was there, and it. It's my story, right? Because I had an incident in Perth years and years ago where there was a comedian who had a um, – a, her whole shtick was doing something about like um, Super Nanny. You remember Super Nanny? Yeah, of course. Right? And then I, that was her thing, right? And then I – for some reason my young comedic brain still forming, I th- – I think I did a little bit about Super Nanny as well. And this person was like, you are ripping me off, you're copying me, um, w- went to town on me, right? And I and I went, I sat outside the comedy venue and I cried, right, because I was so upset because I didn't see, I was like, you have, a, you have a joke about Super Nanny, guess what, I've got one now too. On that, 
in comedy. You don't own topics, by the way. I you, don't own, you don't own Super Nanny. Unless the question was about literally you yeah. running into the Super Nanny or having an experience with the Super Nanny. That's that's just a, yeah. a topic. But that's, yes, yeah. that's a, yes, yeah. correct. I've had another, <laughs> a, a different comic once yeah. came up to me. Uh, can this person self-identify? Let's think. Doesn't matter. A different, another comedian came up one day and said, "Oh, I'm going to do stuff about my dad tonight. Can you not talk about your dad?" Mm. No. Well, unless they're the same dad, and even if they yeah. were the same dad, yeah. you could probably still make it work. <laughs> you, you can't own the topic of dads, mate. <laughs> I mean, I talk yeah. about dads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I did. Yeah, there was a, I mean, again, I'm not going to go into the weeds on this, but recently somebody got upset about somebody making a joke about finishing Pornhub. Like, and I'm like, you know, like, I'm like, mate, 900 people have made that joke. Like it's, that's not a thing that like, I just don't do that joke. It's a bad joke, but like you can't own something like that. That's just a generic topic. And, and it's not, no one's seen you do it and ripped it off. They've literally just – it's just such they a – They the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's all that is. The COVID test looks like a pregnancy yeah. test. Yep, there you oh, go. Oh, no, you're Everyone the most original it. person yeah. in the whole world. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is where my – is it your story to tell? Super Nanny, if I had had that filter over it and a bit more wisdom, I probably wouldn't have chosen to do that topic on the night. This – it was very clearly that girl's whole thing, right? So – yeah, that's different. Like, that's yes, different that thing. is a different right. thing. Like, like I mean, yeah. yeah, you don't want to like salt the earth for somebody who's about to, yes, y- you know, come out yeah. and like make something the the yeah. focus. Like, if I, I, if I'm doing support for somebody, like I uh, did a guest spot at Ronnie Chang's show the other night, and I watched his last special to make sure because I knew I was going to talk about some COVID stuff and I was like I watched his last special especially just to make sure that there was nothing that I was like going to cross over or make it feel like there was any like I just wanted to make sure that there was yeah I didn't want to salt the earth for anything that he was going to do in his show it's just polite yeah yeah um so I after that event where I was really upset for this soup and anything, mm. I, I was like, <laughs> things. Um, I put every joke, everything through a filter. I'm like, if I'm talking about dads, it's my dad or it's a dad I met who really exists. It's not a broad generic. I was like, because you are never, I'm going to make my jokes that you can never accuse me of stealing a joke because I. You know that 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 joke is about my son, who's called Harry, who has red hair. Who, you, yeah, it's quite specific, right? So my motto is of of isn't my story to tell comes f- from that as as well. It's like the minute I step out of that and and get in, I've had tastes of radio is where it happens the most. Is you they go oh just for this segment can you say the Broncos are shit and you really hate the Brisbane Broncos it's just because he he loves them can you just and I'm like uh, okay sure like but it is never going to be as good as if it was my story my genuine story to tell and I. I get it. You can't have two. There's no. You have to have a bit of conflict in radio. You can't. You have to go. No way. I disagree. Hit the phones. Thirteen ten. Who's going to win the grand final? Like you can't both be on the radio. Doesn't work when you're both going. Yeah, I think. I think the Warriors are wonderful. Me too. It's boring. But even in a small example, like I'm not being very genuine here. 
this segment would work better if I was a bit more mature and I spoke to the producer and said, why don't we find another way? There's another, I mean, there could be another way to have a point of difference. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, you know, we both love the Broncos, but I I don't like this particular player or I don't like the way you support them or I am not going to paint, I don't understand people who paint their house in the colours of the blah, blah, blah or like I don't understand, I love the Broncos more than anyone in the town but I'm not wearing the jersey to the – like there's always some – you can find the point of conflict and it doesn't have to be based on a lie. Yeah. Yeah. But any time in my life, life and career and all of it together, Mm. when I step outside of something I know really well, step outside of – What's my rightful thing to say? What do you know? And every time you're on slightly shaky ground on a radio spot or a panel show and they go, Amel, you on stage said you went to um, high school at this school. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, and if you, if you, if you ever tell a lie, this is for me, other people have a different motto. Everything I say is true on stage. Every single, all the big blocks of all the events are completely true. What is slightly twisted is then I said to the lady, listen, Karen, maybe that only happened in my head. Okay. But if I said I went to the chemist, a woman touched my son, then I yelled at her. Those three things happened, right? Every time in my life I've tried to bullshit or step outside of the truth, I get burnt in friendship groups on stage, so that's my motto. That okay, I so, so that's the first half. That's the first, you, that, half. that's the first half, which I yeah. love, by the way. I think it's great insight, like both on the micro level, you know, in in your life, is this that my story to tell? On the macro level, like you know, I think this is like a really brilliant insight. It's certainly something I think about a lot. I, I know when I was writing, like I wrote a COVID show about moving to Mullum and like there was some anti-vaxxer stuff in it and people have said to me, they said, you know, was that stuff true? And I said every single bit of it was true. Now, was it the same lady who said those three things? Exactly. No. Yes. All those three things were said. Yeah. That lady who said them in my show doesn't actually exist. She's an amalgam of three different people because I didn't want anyone to be individually identified by this thing. But they're all true. And then I kind of mixed it around a bit so that no one would be embarrassed or feel bad or whatever it is. But it was all true. Like, you know, it's got to start by being true. I didn't add anything to it that actually essentially changed it from the truth. So, okay, that's good. Firstly, and again, my story to tell because I lived there during that time. It wasn't just me, you know, driving through town and go, aren't these people idiots? It was like what it was like to – I mean, the premise of that whole show for me was – what it was like to be a person who believes in science and stuff moving to the anti-vax capital of Australia at the start of a global pandemic. You know, this is my story of this, you know. Um, So I love that. Love that, absolutely. But we've still got a second part. So I want to hear what the second part is. The second part is pretty specific to comedy only. Well, I don't know, maybe not. Um, Which is be funny, be original be unique. So also where I found myself getting into trouble as a young comedian is if it's not funny, why are you? Why am I as a comedian? That's what I identify as. Why are we doing it? Why are we saying it? Why is it, on, why is it in our show? And sh- sure, we can – oh, you're right, your dog's barking. We'll give it another moment. Why? Yep. <laughs> just, just like. Right, so – 
There have been shows, like I'm talking about doing a, like a young comedy brain on my shoulders where I think I'm going to trick people in, in the festival run and I'm going to do a show that's got a big message in it and I'm going to win an award because the show's going to be all about my message um, or um, the show is actually angling to get a book deal or it like so all these stupid like no just be funny is it funny if it's not funny it's not going in the show right if you just wanted to show off that um, you are really smart and you know heaps about uh, some certain political issue and you just wanted to talk about it on stage for some reason is are you talking about it in a funny way? Because if you're not, drop it from the show because it's not funny, right? Are you being? Is it funny? Be funny. Be original. Did you steal this? Is it your idea? Is it is it original? Can it be easily copied? Does someone else already have this idea? Are you just going over things that people have been saying fifteen years? Right. Be funny and be original. If you're doing those two things, I think it's a good way to work. Because if you're not funny, and you say you're a comedian, what what? What are you doing? Are you original or are you just doing the COVID joke that everyone else has done for two years, right? Being unique, I realised, this took me a while to realise, is everything I think is unique and special about me is actually universal. So it's quite useful for comedy because then you will genuinely connect with your audience and you will find not just an audience, you will find your specific audience because your uniqueness is actually universal to other people who are like you and you will have this conduit to them and, and they to you now with social media where it's something that you think is super unique about you is actually <clears throat> hugely universal and will help you, help you along in your well, career. Yeah, it's you like the thing that is unique isn't actually unique. We all think we're, you know, yes. snowflakes mm-hmm. and none of us are the same. But it turns out that the things we think make us unique often are universal. But even if they are not universal, people can have their version of whatever that thing is that makes you unique, right? Like that thing that you're – they're like, okay, I'm not passionate about that particular thing, but I have a thing like that that I'm equally passionate about. Yes. And so yeah. I relate to that, you know, that the, there is a point of relation that doesn't need to be – I mean, often I talk about things on stage that I'm sure the audience has no, like, particular relationship to other than they – I hope they enjoy me talking about those things. Like, you know, they, they don't need to directly relate to them. So I love all this. I, I'm super aware of the fact that time has flown by because I love talking to you. I, I, I know, always, Nice. It's always very fun to talk to you. I like you're one of my like absolute favorite people to just have a chat with. And I have some regular questions I ask in this thing. And I'm aware that if I don't ask them soon, I'm going to run out of time oh, to ask them. Right. So I'm going to start with this one, which is Mel Buttle. What do you think happens when we die? Interesting. Mm. Do you know what I <laughs> what I used to, <laughs> what I used to hope heaven was? Do you want to? Yep. Let, of course I do. Yeah, let's get into what happens when uh, – yeah. and this isn't that long ago I let this idea die because this is what I pictured as heaven. Heaven is Hawaii, um, but you get access to all these TV screens and it's like a shopping centre security camera footage and it's real TV and it's also everyone's lives that you want to go in and have a look at and you can go back 
and forward in people's lives and watch, re-watch moments what happened. Or you can just watch the Golden Girls, but you're in Hawaii. Mm. That's as complex as I – that's the most beautiful <laughs> paradise I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, have you been to Hawaii? I've been to Hawaii. I love. Oh, I do. Yeah. Love I was, was going to like that would be really like terrible if you were like, and I've never been to Hawaii. Never seen <laughs> like, it. It's um, very very available. There's quite a cheap flight there. Well, not that cheap, but like yeah, cheap enough. Um, yeah. Beautiful place, Hawaii. Like it's yeah. one of those. It's one of those places that's such a cliche for a holiday destination. But sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason because. What a stunningly beautiful place. It's one of those. I love it. Yeah, I, so I'm into your idea of heaven, like Hawaii with a whole bunch of TV screens. Now, when these lives that you're like watching and rewinding, are these only people who have had interactions with you or do you have access to just like random lives that you're going to have like a – or do you, was your, are you imagining that these are like all the interactions of your life that you it- could – it's kind of both. You can just zoom in on an apartment mm. block and just go into a, an apartment and just have a look at what's happening. Or you can go, what? Hang on. When my, what did my mum say about Cadbury cream eggs when I was seven? She did say there's a raw egg in the middle of it and I can't have it. And you can rewatch that moment as well. Yeah. Okay, so interesting. Just, well, that, that bit feels yeah. okay. The other bit yeah. feels a bit invasive to me, yeah. honestly. Just, having a, <laughs> just me, just having a little look. Um, so that's what I thought. But what what happens when you die? See, now I've got a kid. Mm. My brain, it, it changes you. I was like, oh, because he now, he's left on the earth, but I'm yeah. gone. And can I pop back and have a look? Mm. Can he? Is this? Is there? Is is it gone? Is it done? I don't know. Will I? I don't have a firm thought. I don't have a. I don't believe nothing happens because what a disappointment! You do all this and you get oh just I'm just I'm in the ground. Oh nothing. So I wonder if there's a little. I'm sort of hedging my bets. I'm a bit agnostic. I reckon there might be a little something that goes on, and that's as specific as I can be. Will. Yeah, well, you said all girls elite, you know, school, which implies to me there was some religion in the mix there. Was there? there was, yeah, it was an Anglican yeah. school. People always think uh, Catholic, but no, it was an Anglican school. Um, so, but we we learned about every religion. It wasn't just that religion. Uh-huh. Uh, there was, yeah. Was a- How did you learn about every religion? Because, like, I'm fascinated by that because I do think that. You know, I would have loved that. So I went to a co-ed school, but it was an Anglican school as well. And we essentially just learnt like, you know, Church of England sort of stuff, right? Like, you know, the whole, you know, the old fashioned, you know, Jesus, God, Mary, all that sort of business. There wasn't really, I always said that I would have quite loved to have a course called, you know, What People Believe, for example, you know, where I just, we went in and they ran you through what people believe. Because also I think, you know, I'm not the first person to make this observation, but most people believe essentially 95% of the same things and it's only the extra 5% of weird rules that they mm-hmm. come up with themselves that yep. make it feel like it's different. And I think if we had a class where we went, oh, it's weird that like all these religions are mostly the same. Mm. They all started in the same bit of the world. Wow. Um, so we did this, this subject called divinity mm. that I reckon would have a different name. These days, it was compulsory, but it wasn't 
assessed. Like there was no mark that counted towards your end of school result. And we did you did it all the years of high school. And um, sure, they used that time to cover off make on the Christian religion, but then. Mostly, as we got older, the, they we got into more complex stuff. And yeah, you would do a whole term on, you know, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, and it was just shown to you, and it wasn't um, given any less or more weight. And then we would do social issues, and it would always be, well, what do you think of porn, abortion? Uh, whatever, and they would go, oh, this is what the Christian bit thinks, but also this is what everyone else thinks as well. So it was quite full credit to them. There was equal weight. And I've gone back to this school that is Anglican, and in the library they had they just had a display of um, books about uh, trans, LGBT. I was like, okay, not, not that that was silenced, but also not that it was mentioned. So I think... I think schools have either had to catch up or or maybe die. So I think, yeah, I, I obviously I know the Christian religion pretty well, but I, I don't uh, – but, you know, like you'd be doing Buddhism and you, oh, my God, these guys have it right. This is this is spot – this is right. And then you'd learn about Judaism and go, you know what, they, they got some good points, you know. And then Islam, you'd be like, hang on a – bloody minute that's very similar with the like it was just yeah i don't i don't know i can't a big i'm a big believer in the idea that we should get all the spiritual leaders of the world together to get all the books in one room with a good editor and moderator and just come up with like look we'll start with all the things that you all agree on let's just whack those all, all the, they all go in the book and then we'll negotiate the rest of it but we're just gonna have one version of this <laughs> They're like <laughs> get five hot points down by. Yeah. yeah, just um, the main stuff. Like people don't have time to read the whole book. Let's just give it – what's our top ten or 12? We can come up with like whatever the number is, but let, let's yeah. just agree. Yeah. I don't think I have thought about this hard enough and long enough and like I'm very different to other comedians who are hardcore atheist. I'm like uh, – I can't. I can't rule it out. I can't rule it in. I mean, no one can though. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, the reason I ask the question and the reason I ask it about death is that it just immediately gets us to the point, right? Like, because I think if you ask someone what you think happens after you die, it gets to the real question that I'm trying to ask, which is, what do you think the point of this is? Like, mm. you know. So, regardless of what you believe, what do you think? Because I don't know and I probably am never going to know what happens before or after I die, right? Like that is probably, at least to me, is going to be unknowable. Whereas right now we're in something. Something is happening. You and I are here talking and like why? Like why are we doing this? Why is there comedy and music and art and why do we build things and destroy things? And like what what do you think being a human being is? Do you even think about it, it, it mm. in that way or do you just do it don't have time mate <laughs> um yeah. i honestly I, I think this sort of stuff is maybe what more uh regular people would have sat around at uni or in their 20s even in share houses smoked a bit of weed talked about this shit i was i think different and i would I was maybe I was just always onto the next thing. 
I was like, I don't have time for nonsense. Um, (laughs) 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 I mean, which in a way is the most practical of all ways to deal with it because it is unknowable. It is nonsense. In a lot of ways, what what does it matter? One way or the other, what does it matter? It doesn't matter, but all I know is the rates are due. And, yeah, so uh, people who wanted to talk about this stuff, I just had no interest in talking to for long periods of time. I worked that out. Where, like, I was an unusual kid. Like, I read Paul Clitheroe's book, Money, in primary school and then in high school. I think you'll find his name was Paul Clit Hero, which was why you were (laughs) responding to it. So I think it's pronounced (laughs) Clit Hero. All right. Um, So I would then, I got on this thing when I was in lower high school that I was going, I was going to learn about money and because uh, my parents didn't have tons of it or didn't use it well or whatever it was. I was like, I'm, I know what you do. And I worked out for myself at about 14 that you buy an investment property. And if you do the sums right, the the rent pays for the mortgage. If you buy it, if you have the right amount of, and I was into this, then I was into cooking. Then I was just not into stuff that other people my age were into. And maybe this is a comedian thing. And I, st- I feel now like I'm about like uh, 10 years behind my peers. People, I know my friends have been mums for 10 years. I'm a mum now for one year. Like I still get my ID checked when I go to bottle shops. Like I just have this, I'm not where I'm, I don't look like, you know, I'm not saying I look young or whatever, but I'm like, I look like a child, like a deer in headlights in this world. And I'm like trying so hard just to work out the everyday bits, let alone, I wonder what, ha- wonder what happens when you die. I don't have time because the dog, like Will, to get here, like I had to medicate my dog to come and do this. And then I'm waiting for the Uber and she jumps the fence. I'm like, sorry, Matt, I've got to put my dog back. And, so, and I've, the, uh, like just every, every day is just a huge accident and chaos. And then it's bedtime. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question, uh, which is this. If you had to, and this is just a hypothetical clearly, so if you had to um, know when or how you died, which would you choose? When or how? Yeah, you have to choose one or oh, the other. I, when or how? Um, I want to know how. Mm. I would like to know how. Um, I don't want to know when uh, because I have anxiety. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just go, oh, no worries. I'll just keep going and living my life and enjoying it up till then. I'll just wake up every day and go, oh, <laughs> it's nearly 2041, like, or whatever. Um, I couldn't cope. I couldn't handle it. So I would want to so know. So if it was yeah. how then, like yeah, if, it was something, if it was something you could avoid, would you, would you then try to avoid it? Like as in like just say, I mean, whatever. You like hit in the head by a hammer. You just like never go to a Bunnings again or whatever. Wow, that's hard because that's that's lesbian church. um, That was like accidental, that example, but it really did hit right. It really tested me, Will. Um, Yeah, if it was how, I would find that fascinating. But I think I would... I would just kind of forget. I'm like, what was it? What was it? Something like, was it a hammer or was it leg cancer? Well, who has time? Um, I think I'd be able to minimise and not think too much about how, but when, I'd be like, well, it's on the calendar. That's in my... Okay. Yeah, put it, in my, put it on my planner. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But isn't the how the most interesting? Oh, well, not necessarily. I guess the when is pretty interesting too because it could it could be tomorrow. I'd just like to know because I've got like I th- I I actually I think I'm a when person. Are you? Yeah. Because I think I would live my life very differently if I found out it was five years versus 50 years, you know. Like if I'm the sort of person that if it's 50 years, I'm like, well, I've got to have enough stuff to have like a lot, like I've got to look after myself financially and health-wise in a way that like 50 years won't be unmanageable career-wise all those versus five years, I'd make different decisions. And I think I'd like to know that, you know. Mm. You know? If it was five years, what, what would you do? Would, you, would it just be a five-year party? No, 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 no. I'm, I mean, sadly, for me, it would be like the the first thing I would do is make work related choices, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I know it's annoying, but yeah. I've never been a full time stand up. Well, not since I started, right? Because I started doing Triple J when I was like 25, and I've always since then had like a TV or radio job, oh, or often more that than. Crippling for you, Will? Well, of course. Like, I, I don't mean that as a complaint. <laughs> like, in the yeah. life sense, and if I'm looking at a life that's going to go another 50 years, they're good things to keep maintaining, right? Whereas if I had a life that was five years left, I'd just roll the dice and go, fuck it, I just want to do stand-up. Like I'll just do the thing that I actually love the most. But because the 50, the 50 years, you know, it's always that thing like live, you know, live your life like it's, you know, your last day. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's like – but there is a tomorrow. Like I can't live it like there's no tomorrow because mm-hmm. most likely there yeah, probably, probably is going to be tomorrow and then I'm going to have to deal with the ramifications of the dumb decisions I made today. Do you know what I'm hearing from you, Will, and I have yeah. heard this <laughs> from you previously? <laughs> I think you just want to do stand-up and a lot more stand-up than of you do. Of course I do. Well, I, why, do. I mean, yes. You, why don't you – Because I'm worried about like my life and my career and like my – future and I think that like it would be dumb for me to give up the like you said like I mean you made fun of me but the truth of it is that there is that part of me that you know the Paul the Paul clit clit hero part of me that is like you know why would you give up some Mm -hmm. sensible job that a bank will give you a mortgage based on the fact that you have a tv job you know Mm -hmm. okay anyway enough about me more about more about you um worst or best piece of advice that you've ever received in your life? Do you know what? A, <laughs> it's a bit common. It's a bit in, inside. That's okay. This is the worst piece of advice. Another. Mate, if, if people have made it to an hour 45, I always feel like this is where the real juice is. This <laughs> okay, is where we, you know. <laughs> press record now. Um, a comedian came up to me and said, oh, I see you're doing a lot of new stuff. And this is when I'm doing five minutes of unpaid open mic comedy. He goes, you're doing new stuff. You're doing new stuff all the time. All the time. New, new, new. I don't think it's a good idea. I've been doing this 25 years. What I do does not change. Ever. So when someone books me, they know exactly what they're getting. So stop mucking around. Stop doing new things. And just lock in your 10-minute set or your 20-minute set. Get it locked in. And then just do that. Just do it. If I had listened and done that, I, wow, so wrong. That's the absolute opposite of what you need to do in case you were wondering. Um, that was the worst advice. That, sorry, not a different person also said, terrible advice. You're coming off really smart on stage. So stop 
it's it's a real barrier and the audience mm. doesn't like it. No. So stop looking like could you like maybe make yourself a bit dumber or something because you you sound like you're real clever and no one likes that. So those are the worst the worst two. And I don't think I do. I don't I do not talk about what I think like issues, politics. I don't I don't think that's Anyway, and I didn't think that's what I was doing. So those no, are the good. They're good. They're good, they're good sticky ones. They're both things that have some. The second one has no nugget of truth in it at all. The first one has a small nugget, which is it's nice to have a bankable five, ten, twenty for those sort of occasions where that can earn you some money. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, you don't want to be doing new all the time. But like when you're young and you're new, like experiment. Like try to, you know. Yeah, so like, that's great. They're, they're, they're both good examples of what I'm looking for when I ask that question. So well done. Uh, now this one um, is purely hypothetical. So if you could wake up tomorrow, don't have to do your 10,000 hours to learn how to do this thing um, and you just have any skill and you can interpret that skill however you want. You just have it. What would you love to be able to do? Stand-up comedy. No, no, you know what it would be? I'm just going to say what popped into my head because that's probably the right answer. Um, And a a really great chef, an amazing fine dining. I just Mm -hmm. know how to do everything. I can feel the fish perfectly. How flavours combine, how like blah, 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 like just all of it. I've I've woken up and I'm a -hmm. a three-hatted, Top, top, top. Nothing's hard. I don't burn things. I know exactly. I can make a white sauce with no issues. I run my, f- my finger down the salmon. Oh, there's a bone in there. Get my tweezers. No. It's out. Um, <laughs> it, that I reckon no. that would be so good to know. Yeah, I I'm get that. I, got, I have passion mm. in food in that area. Um, and also, if you, if you had that skill and – put out a Lynn video once a week, people would come to your restaurant to see Lynn and I could make heaps of <laughs> But Lynn's not going to be cooking. Lynn's I not need you to know this. These yeah. are not Lynn's meals. No. Lynn will greet you at the door. There's a video. Yeah. And at me. the end she'll say thank you. But I'm yeah. out the back. Cook it. I'm the amazing chef. Um, <laughs> That's great though. I love that. That's mm-hmm. a, And I don't think anybody has said that before either, which I always love a unique uh, answer to that question. Uh, two more. What can we plug, by the way? Obviously, the Lynn videos probably don't need plugging. What else can we plug, though? Are you still touring? Do you have, like, dates or – like, where's the best place? You know what? The best thing is always just, like, for if people want to know what you're doing, where is the best place for them to find that information? That will be on my Instagram which is at Melinda, full name, at Melinda Buttle. That is where it always is. And there's always a link on the Instagram to the any shows or tours or whatever. But that we um I am pretty done. Until next year, there will be I'm coming back in twenty twenty four. There'll be a tour, there'll be Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, minimum. Um and pl- other cities for sure. So that's what Well we've- this is I mean, this is good timing yeah. for that though, because both yeah. people will hear I mean I don't know exactly when people will hear this, but over the next, you know, oh, you will be appearing uh, on the new oh. series of Question Everything. And uh, oh, you, if people are hearing this beforehand, you will also be appearing as part of the live show that we are doing for Question Everything as part of South by Southwest. So uh, the big festival they were having in Sydney. Uh, so, uh, yes, if people are hearing this before then, that would be a good thing for them to come and see. And 
I'm also in the new season of Taskmaster, which will be coming oh, yes. straight in 2024. Is the all the intel I have on that? Now, yeah, I know you can't talk about it at this point, like, uh, but I love Taskmaster, mm. um, like, mm-hmm. love it. Like, have watched all the UK ones. Love the first Australian season. The New Zealand one, I really love. Um, think it's really fantastic. Uh, can't wait for this new season. I know that yeah, at the moment it's still you're not really allowed to talk much about it. I- I'll just ask you this. I think this is probably okay for me to ask. Were you a fan of the show beforehand? Were you aware of the show beforehand or was this like a – did you go into this experience not knowing a lot about it? I went in not knowing very much at all. Okay. I had seen social media length mm-hmm. clips Um. That is it. I had never watched an episode. I had, but so, sometimes this is good, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's bad. Mm-hmm. I won't say which one it is. Well, I'd imagine like, from watching the show over the years, it's probably both, right? Because the truth of it is from challenge to challenge, from task to task, sometimes like – you know, someone who knows what they're doing, it can be an advantage, but sometimes it's the opposite of that. That's the way the tasks are designed. It's the way the show is designed. Is there? It's the great genius of the show is that the people who do badly at it and the people who do great at it are both as entertaining to watch on the show as each other and often from task to task they are different people. Like it is the first show ever where I think the person who comes last does equally as well out of actually being on the show and is often maybe even more entertaining from a comedic point of view than the people who do great. Like it is, that's the genius of the show. It's because there are no real stakes. Like being good at any of the things that they are asking you to do has no real world consequences and thus the pressure is off entirely. It doesn't matter if you're good like if you're great at it, who cares? If you're terrible at it, who cares? Yeah. That's the genius of the show to me as a fan of the show. Just, so you, you probably won't be called upon to this is a made-up task <laughs> yeah. to write a song about your favorite coconut in the pile. Like that right. like that wasn't a task, but it's no. stuff like that. If you if you're not familiar with the show, it's it's little ta- you have to do that task. Yeah. And then there's things that will yeah. it's almost more frustrating to be good at it because it will never come in handy again. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and then even if you think you've nailed the task yeah. and you think you know what they want yeah. and you've done the right thing, oh, you forgot oh. this little keyword in yeah. the task. Now Sorry, you didn't. Said, at actually, all times. you didn't read uh, the back of the envelope, did you? You just read the envelope and you didn't flip it over where there was an entirely different task on the end. So, well did done. Not, yeah, did you not oh, realise it said oh. with, with the tennis racket. Yeah. And then when you put it on the ground for one second mm. to pick something else, it, it yeah. like stuff like yeah. that. Like, yeah. yeah. That, that's, oh. I mean, joyful. What a joyful show. Um, incredible cast involved in your yeah. se- Anyway, like we'll, we'll talk more about that when it, when it actually comes out, which is going to be next year. But, yes, watch out for that. Uh, two more questions then we are done, Mel. So uh, on my desk I used to have the closest that I would – describe to a um, inspirational quote if like I'm not really an inspirational quote guy but this one I always found actually very helpful when I was sitting down to write something and it was this it it said what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and the way that I would interpret that was imagine that the thing don't 
think about how can I put something together that will be successful. Imagine that it's already successful. What would you love that thing to be? And that, you know, that would, it would be a helpful thing to help me unlock, you know, that I'm not doing it for like, I'm almost thinking like it's already successful. It's already guaranteed it's going to be successful. Therefore, what would I love that to be? And I think it comes down to my fear around the stand-up thing is honestly, there's still a bit of me that fears, you know, that idea that anyway. So I ask you that same question. If you were guaranteed of success, if you knew you could not fail, what would you attempt? I reckon it's, um, it's quite low level. Um, and saying it out loud is a bit dumb, but I really, I would play sport. I would play a sport, which I've, sounds so stupid but I would yeah um because my whole life was about sport as a little kid high school heaps of sport and then at the end no more sport for 20 years and whenever there's a like a ball at a kid's birthday party I'm like drawn to it and I will uh, desperate to like kick a ball to someone throw a ball part whatever so I would if I couldn't fail couldn't be embarrassed no one could say anything um I would join like a uh, a soccer team, a basketball team. I, that I would do that. I would and just have fun and not see. I ha- I hate exercise. I hate going to the gym. Mm-hmm. I hate going for a run. I need exercise to be hidden in yeah. a game. Play a game. Yeah, Play a game. it also yeah. is exercise. Yeah. So if I could not fail, I would just get in contact with some like women's basketball team. You don't have to have any ability. And you can just come down and we'll teach you as you go and it's all right if you crap. And I would do that. I would learn to play pickleball that everyone seems to be getting into. It looks very fun. I don't know where to begin with pickleball. Um, that's what I would do because, I, yeah, it's just, I'm like, oh, what, it's, oh, it's every Thursday night. Is it you? And I make it. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Comedy is so great. To get out of committing to things weekly and 100%. to avoid stuff like this and to say, when when would I even go to the gym? There's no point joining. It's so handy. I was talking to Melanie Bracewell on the mm-hmm. podcast and, you know, she was talking about like, you know, she whenever she goes to somewhere, she joins the netball team, you know, the local netball team and that's part of her routine. And I thought that's so healthy, like both like physically but also just like a healthy way to look at life. I was like, I thought, always thought that comedy was the excuse to get out of all those things. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do <are> you <laughs> – Oh, Tuesday night training. That's going to be tricky. Yeah, that I is... do a lot of gigs on Tuesdays. Sorry, yeah. we tape the tally on Tuesdays, yeah. so can't do Tuesdays. And Monday I can't do because what if I got hurt and Wednesday I'm actually just tired from it. And then like, well, then we're in the weekend and I'm gigging, aren't I? So oh, like, that's going to be – Yeah. I mean, I could come yeah. down one night, but I can't guarantee that you <laughs> – I would, I would love to play AFL. Um. Yeah. Oh, women's a- women's AFL, by the yeah. way. So I, it's been around like I mean, the sport uh, at the lower level has been around for for a while, but there was never pathways for women. And I, uh, my sister's kids, her daughters are all mad basketballers, and it's incredible to see that pass way through basketball and mm. you know the <laughs> the love they have of it and you know the like you said the teams and the identity and the joining and the belonging and all those sort of things and 
I love AFL. It's my favourite sport, you know, and the this is the first year where I've had the time to really get into the AFLW and I've been very lucky that it's also around the time that it's been around long enough now that the skill set of the AFLW players has really gone up considerably because I watched it in the first season but I haven't really seen a lot of it since and I love it and I'm so excited by the fact that it is there for women to be able to play it. Now they're already playing it at a, like a really good level now, but you know that like five years from now and 10 years from now with the pathways through it, like it's just great. Cause I loved playing it as a child. Yeah. Like I was a, yeah. like, I loved playing it. And just the fact that women don't have to, you know, like, I mean, Sam Kerr, her brother, Daniel Kerr, like, yeah. you know, played oh. AFL for the West Coast Eagles and yeah. she wanted to play, you know, AFL football, yeah. but there just wasn't a pathway for her. So she was just like, okay, I better just become the best soccer player in the world. But final question, Mel. Yes. Thank you for doing this, by the way. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Um, this is purely hypothetical. No social responsibility for this. This is just for you, okay? Time travel question. I have a time machine. You can go to any point in the future, any point in the past. You do not have to worry about the implications of time travel. You do not have to fix climate change. And as I always say, you do not have to kill Hitler unless your particular passion in life is to kill Hitler. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not saying you can't, but you don't have to. This trip is purely indulgently just for you what would you like to do okay always i I find this fascinating because people are like yep straight back man kill hitler i'm how Mm. how no yeah we're sending someone more qualified than you back to kill you can't use a gun how are you gonna hitler's still hitler hitler still has bodyguards in a in a castle come on have a think you're gonna do it are you josh oh with what anyway Mm. um okay i it would be interesting I have always felt that I would go back and not forward, right? Which is weird because I'm anxious. So you would think I want to see what's going to happen. But also I prefer to run through my mind everything that could possibly happen because I'm so on my skills as an anxious person that I think I've already correctly predicted what's going to happen anyway. So I would go back but not not too far, not too far back, just a little bit back, just to um, just to see kind of when my grandparents were young back, like so what would that be, 1920-ish maybe, around then. So not, not too far back, not crazy, like we've still got houses, we've still – you know, there's, there's from what I know, everything was fine in the world around that time, wasn't I it? I think it was. Don't think there was any troubles. Baby. It was all good. Yeah. <laughs> Seems pretty cool. What? Where are you going? <laughs> I mean, not not a bad time when the, all the boys are away. You know, yeah. might be. Hello, so, girls. <laughs> yeah. We're all just mucking all us girls. <laughs> Oh, no, I think it's all right to wear the boys' uniform while they're away. <laughs> Let's do kissing practice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just want to have I, – I don't want to be there for long. I've, no. I just want to see it, smell it, have a look with my own eyes and then pop back. Like I, I don't – I'm not I'm not that 
organised to be like, I'm going back to 1910 and I'm going to, no, no, I'm not, no. I just want to have a little peek at it, have a look around, uh, probably get a bit out of it. I reckon I'd get a piece of stand-up out of it. But see, the future, no one would believe you, so you wouldn't get the stand-up out of it. If you said, I went in a time machine, I went forward Mm. to 2071, and guess what? Everyone would be like, no, I can't relate to that because I haven't experienced. But if you go back... There's some evidence that what you're saying might exist and the bit would go better. That's how dedicated I am, Will, to this craft of ours. Yeah. You know, like all the boys went off to war and the, the women were left home with the kids. You know who they would, would have come in handy? The bloody super nanny. That's who they needed. Hey. <laughs> Guys. Fucking hell. <laughs> yep. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Mel, thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So good. So good to chat. Listener.